0: Welcome to Kingdom.Think. Today we're going to cover Je- Exodus 3 and 4, Psalms 27 and Matthew 27. So here we are in Exodus 3 where Moses is, I would assume, pretty content. He's got a new wife. He's got a father-in-law. He's, he's, the, um, he's got, I think he has a, two children. Uh, he must be pretty happy. So here we go. And Moses is tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Then he sees a burning bush, but he notices that the bush isn't burning. It's it's in flames, but it's not burning. So he goes to the bush, and as he gets closer, the bush speaks out, and it's God's voice. And God says, don't come any closer, because the ground you're walking on is holy ground. I love that part. I'll exp- I'll go into depth on another podcast why that's so important to know when you're walking on holy ground. Um, but I love that where he says, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, which is really interesting because remember Moses was raised in the palace in Egypt. Did he even know that he was the son of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob? Was this the first time he heard it? Who knows? Maybe he knew, maybe he didn't, but I think that's interesting. Um, So then we move on and they go through this little debate that God and Him are having about who He is, and God says to Moses, "I am who I am." This is what you are to say to the Israelites: "Israelites, I am has sent me to you." Cool. So this is the first time that I know of where God says, "I am that I am," that I can remember at this point. Um, so He tells him, "Go into Egypt, rescue my people." Send. I'm going to send them to the land where there's milk and honey, basically where the Canaanites live, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hivites, where they live. That's going to be the land for God's chosen people, the Israelites. Sounds like a little bit of a conflict, which you'll see in the future. But basically, that's what the promise is. So Moses is not too thrilled about this, and he just keeps debating with God. Well, what if this happens, and what if this happens, and he says, "Look." uh, what, what do you have in your hand? And he says, I have a staff. So basically, which is cool because God's saying, what do you have? And I think that's what God even asks us now when we're saying like, I want to participate in this, in, in helping the world. Or God says, what do you have? What do you own? Like, Oh, I'm a musician or I'm a business person, or I live in this certain community. What do you have? Um, so that's interesting. And then he says, what do you have a staff? And he says, throw it on the ground, turns it into a snake. Moses gets all freaked out, and God says, wait, grab the tail. Who grabs a snake by the tail? But when a burning bush is talking to you, and it sa- and you know it's God, and he says, grab the snake by the tail, you grab it, and then it turned into a staff again. And he's like, okay. And God says, and if that doesn't work, let's see. Put your hand in your cloak. So he put his hand in the cloak, brought it out. It was leprosy. Now put it back in. He put it back in, and it came out healed. These are two signs. And I think it sounded like God wanted to show him another sign, but Moses kind of interrupted and he said, oh, because he did tell them, uh, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, then the, or the second, um, uh, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground and it'll turn to blood. And then Moses interrupted, uh, excuse me, excuse me, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past. I think Moses is getting paranoid now, and he's trying to come up with an excuse because there was no other inclination that Moses was poor at speaking. But yet he says, I am really not that great of a communicator. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. It sounds like he was just trying to think of an excuse because the realities and the fears started to set in of the big project, the big calling, and he was trying to get out of it. Ugh, God's like... Okay, seriously, who gave you your mouth? Who gave you, who who's the one who if I said you're capable of doing this, you're capable of doing this. Yeah, I don't know. Don't you think you should send someone else? Oh, God started to get angry, but he says, "Well, just take a deep breath, take a deep breath." And he says, "Okay, fine. Here's what I'm going to do. Your brother Aaron, the Levite, I know he can speak well. So, how about this? I send him in, he does all the speaking, and you give him the suggestions. And that's the way we'll do it. Very gracious of God to not totally get mad at Moses for being so disobedient. So sounds like Moses has a little bit of character flaws. He's a little bit of not a risk taker, not so gutsy, not so certain. And so that's why I think the next thing that happens was God's way of just instilling certainty in Moses. Because they're on the way, um, him, Sapphira, his wife, and his sons... Um, and at a place where they took a rest on the way the Lord met with Moses and he was about to kill him. That's what it says. I've never heard this. Anybody preach on this verse. I've never heard anyone read this verse, but we're going to just tackle every verse. This is the kind of little part of the story that we tend to overlook because we don't really get it. So let's just accept the fact that we don't totally get it. So here we go at the lodging place on the way the Lord meets met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone at that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to the circumcision. Why that happened? I don't know. We can come up with a lot of different possibilities. People debate on this all the time. But in my opinion, maybe God was just refining Moses character and not only refining Moses character, but possibly refining his team, his wife, Zipporah, the people on Moses tribe. Do they have the character to fulfill the challenge that's up ahead? And this is what happened. Turns out Zipporah was much more of a fighter than we thought. And maybe that was a test of her character. Who knows? Um, so now the Lord told Aaron, go out to the wilderness, meet Moses. So then they met up and Moses and Aaron went to the elders of the Israelites and explained to them everything that happened. Of course, the elders of the Israelites didn't believe because who's this guy? But then Moses performed the same miracles that were done at the burning bush. And then they believed and they were so excited that God is coming through and going to, fulfill his promise. It's interesting because they didn't, remember this was before Jesus came, so they didn't have a really intimate personal relationship with God. They needed signs and wonders, things that were outside of themselves, things that they could see because the Holy Spirit wasn't really in them yet. Um, So isn't that interesting? Okay, that is Exodus uh, 3 and 4. Super cool. Now we're going to move on to Psalms 27. It's a little bit longer, but I want to read it. Because sometimes, like I said before, you just got to read the Psalms and let it soak into your soul. And <clears throat> like, honestly, it's like a when you we step outside and sometimes you ju- it's a crisp, cool morning and it's just like, oh, it's so fresh and cold. And then sometimes you go and it's outside and it's warm. It's a warm summer morning and the sun just soaks on your skin you can't describe that to somebody it's like not describable that's how psalms is sometimes so here we go the lord is my light and my salvation whom shall i fear the lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall i be afraid when the wicked advance against me to devour me it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall though an army besiege me my heart will not fear though war break out against me even then i will be confident Okay, wait, so he's declaring affirmatively, speaking in affirmation, speaking in truth, declaring it over his life prophetically that when war breaks out, I will walk in confidence. Yep, when an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. That's Yes, that's like all the little things that we deal with our life, like a conflict, um, a lawsuit, um, financial problems. Those things, those are wars against you. Walk in confidence. Okay, moving on. Verse four. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of a sacred tent and send, set me up high upon a rock, Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice. With shouts of joy, I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servants away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. God, my Savior, though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in straight path. Because of my oppressors, do not turn me over to the desires of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me. Yep. Spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord, ah, oh, so good, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations, I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Whoa, whoa, time out. I will see goodness in, of the Lord in the land of the living. You know what that means? That means we're going to see goodness here on earth in the land of the living. That means it's still possible. It means there's still hope. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. What if, guys? What if this is a clue that, yes, God knows that, okay, I'm going to get a little worldview here. We know we're living in dark times. We know there's some evil stuff going on in politics and in the world government. And we know there's so many lies and malicious accusations, and so much chaos, and evil. People that we're supposed to be trusting are just evil. But remain confident, because you will see goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. What if, guys? What if this this is a prophetic word or a declaration for today? For this time, 2023, for this time, because this is not, everyone's saying this is going to be a tough year. Okay, great, super, we know. What do we do? It says right here, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Waiting doesn't always mean just sitting in your house doing nothing. It means trusting confidently, fervently as you go about doing whatever it is you do, knowing that God's going to show up. Because we are gonna see good in the land of the living. I love that. I really take that for myself personally. That all the evil that's going on in the world is gonna they're gonna see um their punishment. Very cool. In Matthew 27, this is where Jesus gets crucified. So it's a very very, very important chapter. This is when Judas is, he realized the error that he had made. And he was devastated. And he goes back to the the chief priest and says, I, I betrayed innocent blood. And, and he was just distraught. And he throws down the coins, the silver coins. And they said, well, that's your problem. He couldn't handle it. So he went and hung himself. He killed himself because he was just so distraught. And the priests they took those coins and they bought land because they said, we can't put it back into the offering bucket because it's it's... Blood stained. So that's interesting. Then uh Jesus stands before Pilate. Uh he says, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, You have said so, which is basically I'm not denying, I'm not admitting, but this is what you declare. So he's not giving clear answers, unfortunately. And Pilate says, Don't you have anything to do with uh or what earlier? He says, Don't you have anything to say? And Jesus just said nothing um, he made no reply, not even a single charge to the great. Okay. So then moving along while Pilate was sitting, Oh, the wife of Pilate was so disturbed by a dream that she sent a note to her husband. Don't have anything to do with the innocent blood of this man, uh, that this innocent man for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. So there was a chance. So Pacha's pilot, I don't think he wanted to to be responsible for this, but he was being pressured and manipulated and trying to gauge his crowd because he doesn't want riots and craziness to break out. He's trying to keep things in control. He's like, I got a great idea. I always let one prisoner released. So that's when um, he says, okay, here it comes where you guys get to choose to release Barabbas or Jesus. One of them gets to be set free. And the people start shouting, uh, what shall I do with this Jesus called the Messiah? They said, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted, crucify him. Oh my gosh. Pilate was like, this is insane. So he takes some water and he rinses his hands and he, I'm sure he shouted this loud. And he says, I am innocent of this man's blood. He said, it is your responsibility. And the people responded with, his blood is on us and our children. Dang it. They messed up right there. So they let Barabbas free and they start mocking Jesus. They take him to be crucified. They did horrible things, putting crown, this crown of thorns. You know, all the horrible things that they did to Jesus. Then they found a man named Simon and forced him to carry the cross because Jesus was so bloody and beat up. Uh, Then they walked and they put a sign. So then they put him on the cross. And they put a sign saying, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Um, and then some people started saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it up in three days, ha, save yourself, come down from the cross, if you really are the son of God, basically mocking him. And Jesus was started, you know, he's totally beat up. He's nailed to the cross, and he cries out, okay, I can't read it in that language, so I'll just do the English translation. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, that is a desperate cry. His human self was coming through right there in the midst of the agony and the pain, Um, and some people say, what is he doing? Oh, he's calling Elijah. Oh, let's just see if Elijah really appears. Well, finally, God or Jesus took his final breath. And when he did that, at that moment, climactic moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, the earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs, okay, I'm going to read something I've never read before. Even though I've read this Bible, even though I've heard this story a million times, the tombs broke open, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. I've never heard that before. So, here's, so I kind of was looking it up. What did that mean? In all the crucifixion stories, I've never heard that part. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. The unusual events that accompany Jesus' death and resurrection marked an unprecedented crossroads in history. The resurrection of these holy people gave additional evidence that death is not final. So it's a very, 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 very incredible example that once Jesus died on the cross for all of mankind, from that point on, death was not final. It also foreshadowed a time when all of faithful the faithful will be raised to life. So it's just saying life after death. So cool. Um, so now once they saw this happen, so they said, surely he was the son of God. So then the two Marys, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother, were following him. They were hanging out by the tomb. This rich guy says, he can have my tomb. We know the story. And then the, the priest said to Pilate, Hey, he said he's going to be raised back to death, uh, raised back to life in three days, so we better put extra forces around his tomb to make sure that nobody steals his body. It'll just be more chaos. So fi- finally, Pilate says, okay, fine. Put as many soldiers as you need. Put a seal on the tomb just to make sure. Boom. And that's the end of Chapter 27. Very profound things in that chapter. I hope you enjoyed that. And that one piece really blew my mind today. Verse 52, who were these other people that were raised to life and came out of the tomb after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people? Interesting talks. It's very significant about death, about life, about the spirit world. These people had already died, but they were spirits. But once Jesus died on the cross, he became the gateway. He became the portal to the spirit realm. Very good. There you go. There you have it. Matthew 27.